WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Michigan is one of the leading producers for potatoes in the chipping industry. In the United States, 70% of Michigan's potatoes are used to make potato chips. Today we are joined by Talani Jayakodim and Jacob Jensen to tell us about their research in gene editing potatoes. Talani and Jacob, may you please introduce yourselves for us in your research? Hi, I'm Talani Jayakodi. I am in my third year of a PhD in the Plant Breeding Genetics and Biotechnology program. My research interests are focused on applications of gene editing, as well as getting a better understanding of the specificity of new and emerging gene editing tools. Hi, I'm Jacob Jensen, and I'm a recent undergraduate graduate here from Michigan State, and I studied genomics and molecular genetics. Thanks for joining us today, Talania and Jacob. To get this conversation started, one of the things that I'm immediately thinking about is, could you talk a little bit about what are the differences between humans and potatoes genetically? Like, is the DNA longer? Is there more chromosomes? Potatoes have a very complex genome. We could arguably say way more complex than the human genome. Potatoes have four copies, at least cultivated potatoes, like the things that you get at the grocery store, have four copies of all of their chromosomes, whereas humans only have two. In addition to that, potato genomes are very complex genetically. They're very what we call heterozygous, meaning that across each location, it's very different, which makes analyzing and understanding potato genomics very difficult and can be a challenge. Thanks for explaining that, Talani. I didn't realize that they had a different number of chromosomes. You had also mentioned the word specificity when you were introducing your research. What does that mean? Before I can answer your question on specificity, I think it's important to first introduce genome editing. Genome editing is a very powerful and versatile method to target specific sequences of the genome and make changes to them. When it comes to specificity of these tools, though, there is variability in how well different gene editing tools are able to target and make specific changes. Some of them are better than others. A big part of my research is using some of the most popular gene editing methods available today and testing and comparing how specific they are in a whole genome scale. Think of gene editing kind of like how you would use control F to search for a word on a page on your computer. Very specific gene editing tools will be able to identify that word on the page identically. But ones that have more variability or less specific can tolerate more mismatches. So if you spell the word wrong, you could still find it in that sequence. And this specificity has huge implications when we think of gene editing in crops or for things that we're trying to eat or consume. Because we want tools that are specific so that there aren't unintended consequences or other parts of the genome or the plant that's being targeted. Thanks for explaining that, Talani. We've had a couple episodes on the show that talk a little bit about gene editing, but I really appreciated the way that you broke it down for us. Jacob, when it comes to the potato that you are specifically working with with Talani, when it comes to the gene editing project, what kinds of potatoes were you working with? I know there's so many different varieties out there, and in fact, we have some different kinds of potatoes within our own pantry. 
With our project, we are currently working with the Atlantic variety of potato. And Atlantic is mostly used in chipping process. So what that means is that Atlantics, once they're grown out in the field, go through processing and end up becoming potato chips that you would eat. Whenever I go to the potato chip aisle, I see so many different types of flavors and brands and companies that create these potato chips. Are they all made with this Atlantic potato chip? And if not, what are some other ones that are used? Another thing I'm wondering is why do they specifically use Atlantic potatoes to make potato chips? Atlantic is not the only potato that's used for chipping, and it probably isn't the most popular that's used today. It's one, though, that we have a lot of background information on and are able to study it in like a lab setting. And it has a long history in the potato industry. But some of the main qualities when it comes to potatoes for the chipping industry all revolve around its yield. We like high-yielding potatoes. What's really important in North America when it comes to chipping potatoes is being able to store the potatoes in a cold room for several months without them degrading or changing colors or getting disease or pathogens. In North America, we only have one, well, I guess I should say in Michigan, we only have one growing season for potatoes and that's in the summer. And so we bulk up all the potatoes we can and we have to store it throughout the entire winter in order to have potatoes for chipping throughout the entire year. And that's why those qualities like storage and yield and disease resistance are incredibly important to the potato industry. I love eating potato chips. I eat them at least once a week because they just taste so good and I love the crispiness associated with them. You had highlighted a couple of those really important properties that potato chip makers are interested in looking for when it comes to the type of potato. Since potato chips have been around for such a long time, why is your lab interested in editing some of the genes of these Atlantic potatoes? Yeah, gene editing has kind of opened the door to our ability to like create better potatoes. When it comes to potatoes, breeding them conventionally is really challenging. Like I'd mentioned before, the genomes of potatoes are very complex, and our ability to make better potatoes is really limited because of that. There's a lot of genes within the potato genome that are kind of junky. They are what we call deleterious, and so oftentimes when we try and breed conventionally, we get worse potatoes than what we started with. And so the progress of breeding potatoes conventionally is very slow. It takes decades to make improvements to the potato. And that's why being able to have a tool like gene editing to make changes to the genome directly is incredibly powerful. We can make these changes in the scale of a few years versus the scale of decades. And on top of that, a lot of consumers are, are really attached to certain varieties of potatoes. And this way we can enhance those specific varieties without changing so much of the other traits and qualities of that potato they already love. I like growing different things such as herbs and different vegetables, but I've never grown potatoes. And I wonder, how are they specifically grown and how long does it take for them to have a proper yield? In Michigan, we usually plant potatoes in May once we're free of the fears of frost and end up harvesting potatoes in October before it starts getting cold again. I would have never really realized how difficult it is to grow potatoes, but thanks for explaining that. 
In the laboratory that you both are working in, what genes are you working with to edit, and what properties of the potato are these genes affecting? Yeah, so in our lab, we focus on a couple different genes, but specifically in our project, we look at polyphenol oxidases can be found not just in potato, but in multiple other plant species. One trait that polyphenol oxidases contribute to is browning. So say, for example, you bite into an apple and you let that apple sit out for about five minutes. You'll notice that the flesh of the apple starts to get this browning look to it. And that polyphenol oxidases contribute to that. And that's something that we're looking at in our project. Yeah, so polyphenol oxidases are a very well-studied family of genes in plant species. And they also have economic importance when it comes to many fruits and vegetables. That same concern of cutting a potato and having it brown is a limitation when we want potatoes for chipping or fresh market industries. So with our project, we use a special kind of bacteria called agrobacterium to kind of start out the gene editing process. First, we take a really young potato plant, like really a smaller potato plant, and we chop it up into little bits. From there, we put these little bits with this bacteria, and this bacteria contains our gene editing tools. From there, for about a couple days, we let it kind of grow together. And then what we do is we wash off the plants so that there's no more bacteria on them. And then we, from these little tiny pieces, grow it up into larger plants. And then hopefully what happens is these new plants have the specific edits we want. How long is this bacteria with the potato? Does it grow as the potato is growing? And then is that bacteria make the potato safe to eat? The bacteria and the small little potato plant pieces are actually only together for two days. And kind of during this process, after those two days, we treat the plants with antibiotics and just enough to where we kill off the bacteria on, like, on the plant. So down the line, there isn't bacteria on the potato plants. Yeah, the process that Jacob's describing is actually the same method that is used to make what you may know as a GMO. This bacteria has this like special ability to infect plant cells and insert DNA into the plant cells. And that's actually how GMOs are made. But we exploit that same mechanism in order to put our gene editing reagents into the plant. With these new advances being found in gene editing of these Atlantic potatoes, how will this impact the potato chip economy? Will it make it easier to grow the potatoes now that they're not browning as much, for example? Or will it decrease the amount of time that's necessary to get a potato to maturity? The focus of targeting these polyphenol oxidases is to reduce that browning in potatoes, which is an important quality trait of the potato industry. I'm not really sure about the regulations of GMOs. Is there any sort of application that you would have to file like with the FDA or something else whenever you grow these genetically modified potatoes? When it comes to genetically modified food crops, this whole process is regulated by the USDA, FDA, and the EPA. But just recently, about a year ago, 
an update to our regulation was made under what's called the secure rule, which now makes clear somewhat clear differences between what a traditional GMO is and what certain gene-edited crop products are and how they are regulated. Although in our process of describing how we gene-edit plants, we are going through a step of genetic modification, there are other methods of gene editing in plants that don't require you to go through this GMO step. Or you can remove the GMO aspect of the plant and just keep your edited part. And those plants are regulated differently and separately from that of the traditional GMO. Now, under the secure rule, things that have traits that we target that can be technically conventionally bred in are not considered GMOs and do not need to be regulated. So in our case, if we make small alterations to these PPOs, and these alterations are technically feasible to have existed in naturally occurring potato populations and could feasibly be bred into the potato. It means that as long as that foreign DNA that's related to that whole GMO process is not a part of the plant, those potatoes would not be regulated under current U.S. governance. Jacob, you had just mentioned that you had graduated and Talani, you're still finishing up your PhD. What are your plans for the future, and what are you looking to get into? I really enjoy this type of work that I'm doing right now. Gene editing and biotechnology and working with plants, these are all things that I'm like really passionate about, and I would love to continue this kind of work in the future. I also really enjoy teaching, so I see myself teaching at a university Probably not something as large as MSU. I prefer kind of smaller scale, more intimate environments. So I would love to teach at like a small university, like a private college, but also continue this kind of research in gene editing, but focus on mentorship and educating the next generation of researchers. Yeah, and for me, just being recently graduated, it's a bit of an odd feeling, but I'm hoping in the future to kind of continue with this molecular bio work, specifically looking towards graduate school, I'm hoping to get my PhD and really look more into gene editing and kind of the implications, not only in plants, but also in other organisms. And it's looking to be a very interesting road ahead, for sure. Well, I have no doubt that you both will be very successful in your future. Thank you so much for talking to us about gene editing potatoes. It was really great to hear about your work, and I'm going to go have some potato chips. Thank you so much for taking the time to hear about our research. Yes, thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.